What makes a startup a startup? And when do you move on from that definition? Mark Murphy, the CEO of Atlatl, is currently trying to answer that question. Atlatl is changing the sales process with AR and VR, and the company is selling to top-tier enterprise companies looking to transform digitally. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Mark explains how he's grown as a CEO and used the lessons he's learned to bring Atlatl to the point it's at now. Enjoy the conversation. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. This is Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we have on the other line, Mark, what's going on? How are you, Ian? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You know, we've we've actually known each other for a few years here, and uh, it was pretty, not long after you became CEO of Atlatl, and um, I'm just so excited about the company, about AR, and about, you know, the stuff that you're doing. So excited to, to share that with our listeners. But first, I just want to know, you know, you served in, in the Army as well. Why did you decide to go into the Army in the first place? Well, yeah, I think it was a more of a decision to serve. You know, the, the Army was uh, the only ROTC program offered uh, at Bucknell where I went to school. So I think it was more about a decision to serve. And, uh, you know, the branch kind of decided itself based on uh, where I wanted to go to school. And so kind of flash forward to now, CEO of Atlatl, tell me a little bit about where the company's at, what you're building, what you're working on, and, and why you're so excited to join. Well, it allows in the sales acceleration space, and you know, we've built a, and are building a, a very unique and, uh, at this point, market-leading uh, visual configuration software. And, you know, we're moving the, the sales process for B2B complex and industrial products outside of brick and mortar and into a virtual and augmented reality space. And uh, we've, we've spent time creating a, a really unique and uh, enterprise level capability to do uh, B2B commerce. Uh, and we're excited because uh, the market's very large and uh, it's still right ahead of us, meaning you know, we don't see a lot of competition right now. And the competition we do have, I think, is just driving a, a larger market interest, which is always good. I think when we talked originally years ago, we had talked about this situation where technology always, always goes kind of either starts in like the gaming or, or entertainment kind of stuff where it starts in, in big business and kind of figures its, its way out how to be you know, useful and relevant. Um, but for salespeople on the ground, you know, using AR is so new and novel, especially when you all rolled out the product when it was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you had a lot of conversations where, you know, salespeople saying like, wait, what, you know, we, we can do this, like, this is crazy. And working with people and customers that really, you know, it's, it's crazy that they were even selling without some type of modeling or 3D rendering in real time to begin with. Um, it's such an obvious use case. I'm curious, just like, you know, when you bring this product to folks that that are trying to 
kind of do the old way versus the new way leveraged by technology? Like what's that kind of transformation like? You know, we have customers and I, I think we are still selling to, to visionaries. So we're, we're still selling to the, the top 10% of companies that are really leaning forward in digital transformation. But, you know, within that category, there's a couple different customers coming to us. We have customers that come with a very tangible, pragmatic business case of trying to reduce their sales process. And, you know, we have a customer that's in, in the piping industry and, you know, their sales force uh, was, was literally mapping these out on graph paper, sometimes miles worth of piping in industrial complexes. And we've actually memorialized one of the graph papers in our office just to show where the tech has come from. So, you know, when you, when you move a process that's so manual into software in any market, I don't care what it is, you're going to find huge ROI and huge efficiencies. And, you know, that's, that's one of our customers. I think it's a very practical use case for our software. And then you have another customer that's really driven by creating a, a very unique customer experience as a way to drive market share. And, you know, they're more interested in a highly visual customer experience, being able to immerse them, their customer in the product and, you know, creating an augmented reality uh, experience for their customers. And that's really to use experience to gain market share. So, you know, two different use cases, slightly on the end of the spectrums, um, but for our software, both driving tremendous value in the market. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the classic example of, of backing out the business case and using the technology rather than the other way around. You know, I think, you know, when we talk to, to other technology leaders, I think a lot of times people get really psyched up about the tech and not like how it would be used on the ground. Um, I remember when you and I were talking about how, you know, that salesperson to get them to actually implement the technology is one of those really hard things, right? Because you potentially have somebody that's been selling the same way for, you know, could be 20 years, uh, a manufacturing product that has been using graph paper, has been able to, you know, uh, had, you know, the sales cycle where they go back and forth and back and forth on, uh, on the CAD drawings and things like that. You know, that's one of those situations where, you know, it's not necessarily really easy to implement just like any organization, technology is sometimes tough because uh, of change. But this is something where really, as buyers get more sophisticated, you can see the obvious future that like, of course, everyone would have this. I mean, is that something that's really exciting for you? It is. And it's exciting for our team. I think they're, they're waiting for it to, you know, we believe we're probably still slightly early, but we're all feeling like we're on the edge. And, you know, what, what we think the indicators are is we're starting to get that one or two customers in every vertical we're going into. And, you know, th that's creating demand for other customers. So the excitement comes when we start seeing the market leaders, even if they're using one of our competitors tech, it, it helps us give a use case to point to. Um, that's driving demand for our customers when they come to us. So I think that paradigm exists for any new tech is you'll get the market leaders, the market leaders will be successful and they, they start moving the needle in their revenue with your software where we feel like we're right on the edge of, of that moving in the market. Yeah. You know, and you, you said 
that you joined the company at an inflection point? You know, now that you've been there for a while, kind of where do you feel like the market is, you know, at this at this point? You know, visual tech, 3D tech has evolved significantly from a platform perspective. So we have that, you know, the the unknown here is 5G. And I think that, you know, the ability for that kind of capacity in, you know, manufacturing facilities has really moved the needle as well. And then, you know, people are just getting more comfortable with the idea of visual commerce and, and, and even AR. And, and I think we've, we kidded about it when we first met and I've written some blog posts about it, but small things like the emergence of Pokemon Go and other AR driven games gets us all comfortable operating in that environment. And then you start thinking about use practical use cases for that technology. So, you know, I think when people have context, even from their consumer or personal lives on how tech can be applied, it makes these business conversations so much easier. And, you know, we're, we're seeing that evolve very quickly in, you know, conversations we, we couldn't have a year ago because um, the tech wasn't there all of a sudden it's emerged and you know, we're in conversations where this capability has huge practical application. Yeah. I forget who, who said this, but they called it like the grandma or, or grandpa problem where it's like, if the problem is so easy uh, to explain that you could explain it to your grandma and grandpa and they totally get it. I feel like there's like a corollary to that, which is if the technology is getting commonplace in your kids, then it's probably, you know, the wake up call for, uh, for you to realize that you should be using it in your business life. You know, if you're, if your kids are running around with, with AR, then, you know, being able to adopt that as part of your sales process or whatever it is, uh, is probably a little bit more palatable. For us, it's specific to AR because that's the more market leading piece of our technology. As people get comfortable with the application of it, whether it's in their consumer lives or their, their personal life, they can start bringing real practical use cases to the table. And where a year ago, we were really pushing this out into the market, now we're getting inbound RFPs and inbound interest from big enterprise companies that are coming to us with practical use cases for our augmented reality technology. And that shift has, has happened over the last six months to a year for our company. This is your second company um, that you've been CEO of. Uh, the last one, Spark. I'm, I'm curious, tell us a little bit about what Spark was and the, and the process of being CEO there. Right. So Spark was, uh, we were in the health, we were a software company in the health benefits space and we were developing uh, health benefits, uh, big enterprise health benefits software. And, you know, it's interesting part of my story. I was uh, a big company guy uh, working at Deloitte where I found myself directly out of the service. So but you really started getting uh, a little bit of a need to be uncomfortable again and a, a need to maybe do something else. So you know, got the opportunity uh, through a network to join a company called Spark. And it was uh, small at the time at uh, a technical founder that was uh, building the company and needed a partner to help him grow it. And, you know, over the course of the first year, um, you know, I evolved and, and emerged into the CEO role, went from about 75 people to about 350 people. 
and uh, ended up exiting, successfully exiting that company in, uh, in early 2016 to, uh, to Booz Allen Hamilton. And so kind of going from that experience for your second time becoming CEO, was there some things that you went into it uh, with a different mindset, with different mental models, uh, kind of based off that experience? I was fortunate enough to take a small, I did some post transaction, uh, you know, courtesy work for Booz Allen, also a wonderful company, by the way, but, um, and then, you know, took some time off between roles and I really sat down and wrote a version of a playbook, uh, you know, notes to myself on, you know, things I learned, things we did well, you know, things we, we, I would do better the next time, how to build a culture, uh, core values I was interested in, all the things that I was trying to capture from my, my experience at Spark that I would bring to the next job. And, uh, you know, I, I hit the ground uh, CEO at Laddle. And, you know, I think looking back, 50% of it maybe was helpful. And the rest of it proves that there's, there's definitely no playbook for a startup CEO. So, you know, I think go into these jobs with your experiences uh, you know, fortunately, I had the benefit of, of doing this job before, which is huge. And then the, the good business fun fundamentals that a company like Deloitte brings you. And then, you know, obviously the leadership skills and, and fundamentals from the Army. So, uh, you know, that all went into the version of what I'm doing now. But, uh, you know, it, it's a really exciting, interesting job. And there's, there's no one there to script it for you. So, you bring what you can to the job and then you figure out the rest at a very rapid pace. You wrote an article last year about Industry 4.0, factory stack. You know, why'd you write the article and, and what do you think that like Industry 4.0 means, you know, in the, in the larger context of the next industrial revolution? Right. And thank you. That, that article actually has gotten a lot of playback and a lot of uh, feedback and, and notes from other people. But, you know, I, I was reading an article by a uh, venture capitalist actually in Germany, um, which makes sense with Industry 4.0. But, you know, he talked about this idea of the factory stack and, you know, was naming you know, pieces of software that went into the factory stack ecosystem. And he, really, he left sales out of the factory stack. So, you know, my, my idea that came into that blog post was, if we're really gonna take advantage of the evolution of what's going on on the shop floor, and you know, that, that is additive manufacturing, 3D printing, um, you know, metal printing, robotics, internet of things. So all this tremendous advancement that's going on within the four walls of, of the manufacturing facilities, but you know, to use my anecdote before, we still have sales people that are out in the market, out in the field, selling on graph paper. And you know, can we extend this idea to include you know, that starting point? So when you do get to the manufacturing floor, you're starting with a digital footprint and not an analog footprint. So um, you know, I've talked in other, in other forums about you, know, you can't sell an analog when the world is digital. And, you know, that's also gotten a lot of playback in, in just the idea, Ian, that, you know, if we're going to really extend uh, Industry 4.0, we have to start thinking about what the starting point is. And I believe the starting point is when that salesperson 
um, start selling the product. They need to start thinking about selling in software and in digital. You know, before this, we were talking about who you work with. And I think that, you know, it's an imperfect, it's a perfect encapsulation of where we are in digital transformations for how many different folks you work with uh, for this solution. We're talking head of sales, head of marketing, CIO, CTO, chief digital officer, uh, chief transformation officer, chief customer officer. It really is this intersection of, of where, you know, business and technology meet. I'm curious, like as you're as you're working with your customers and bringing in those those different folks to the table, you know where does the technology stack versus the business stack? Like where where do those two things kind of come together on this versus where are those potentially you know at odds with one another? Well, I, I think there, there's two drivers that we like to see is we love a company, particularly enterprise, that is heading into a big digital transformation and, you know, they formally have a transformation officer or a digital team uh, or experienced team. And, you know, those people understand the direction they have is to move this organization into industry 4.0 in our case. You know, in those cases, the CIO gets involved naturally because we're intruding on his ecosystem. We're, we're going to be part of his stack so, you know, we have to address the CIO's concerns and, you know, we, we understand that. But, you know, the, the real needle movers for us is when there's a transformation team that, you know, has sales and revenue goals attached to this transformation. You know, are we just replacing an ERP or are we bolting on to an ERP? Sometimes software like us can, can get move down in priorities when it's, you know, there's more pragmatic priorities like putting an ERP in. But, you know, when we have a customer that have a, a real paradigm shift that they want to do through digital transformation, those are the people that are going to get these things done and really understand the power of our software. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think that the governance piece of this is pretty interesting because you look at something that, especially that you know, as a sales driven product that IT wants to make sure or, you know, technology wants to make sure is being leveraged and adopted and, and everything in the right way, you know, and it's one of the things that, um, you know, ultimately a lot of that stuff is going to feed into, like you said, a lot of the systems that you already have in place. Are there any kind of like best practices that you've seen from your customer customers on ways to kind of integrate the business functions and the technology functions to make sure there's a seamless kind of adoption? You know, where we're selling into the, a, a, a real alignment between sales and marketing, because when our software is really used uh, most effectively is when, you know, those two business units are aligned. Because, you know, what we're finding is we are a sales acceleration tool, but the, the power of these visual assets becomes uh, a really powerful marketing experience as well. So, you know, when we see that alignment, it really helps the investment case, the, uh, you know, the business case, and then on adoption, really driving it through the organization. So, you know, I think as a best practice, you know, obviously CIO always like to see him at the table because that's table stakes, but, you know, having real alignment in the organization between sales, marketing, 
because they can drive the business case and ROI for the organization. And if we see that kind of alignment, you know, after we get deployed into organizations, it's those two individuals that are really helping us drive value. And that increases ROI, increases revenue, keep, increases ARR for us, and, and really helps us be successful. Do you feel like you are kind of still in the, in the startup kind of environment or do you feel like you've, you know, you've graduated uh, into, into another kind of level of the business? It seems, um, you know, obviously still refining the product and it's early times for, for AR, but, you know, but based off of, you know, not potentially being on the, you know, constant raise cycle or things like that. um, I'm curious kind of, kind of where, you know, where you're excited to, to spend your time these days. So it's interesting because, you know, I, I remember at Spark, you know, someone talking about us as a startup and, you know, I turned to him and, and said, you know, we're 350 people. It really, it does not feel like a startup to me anymore. Um, and, you know, you, we have all the big company processes and all the big company uh, things that would go on with being, you know, a normal size company. So I think the term, it's interesting, and I'm sure you see it uh, where you're sitting is the term startup. I think it's thrown around in different occasions that it really doesn't fit. Uh, you know, I think if uh, we have a enterprise product that you know, I think is, is well beyond what I would call the tech risk that usually comes with a, a, a true startup. So you know, I think we've definitely matured beyond startup in the fact that we have an enterprise platform, we're servicing public companies, you know, we have all the, the security and, and platform infrastructure in place to, to scale at that level. So, you know, I think in that aspect, we, uh, you know, we are a mature company. You know, I think as, as we're still operating very much in startup speed, and I'd like to keep it that way, I think we're, we're still very flat, um, like a, a more traditional startup. So, you know, I think there, there's elements um, in all the best ways that we're still a startup. But, you know, as I go out and sit with enterprise customers, we very much are, have, the, have the maturity and uh, infrastructure in place to, to operate at the enterprise level. So, it, it's a little bit of a mix there. You know, as far as where, where I am spending my time and, you know, aligning my time, is uh, you know, always a lot of time in, in sales and where the sales team needs me to, to help move that needle, that very important needle, um, and spending a lot of time in, in product and you know, with our implementation team and you know, really spreading, spreading myself out between those three areas. You know, with regards to integrations, um, you know, you you have an open API, you integrate with companies like Salesforce and Autodesk and all that stuff. You know, just from a technology standpoint, you know, how much time are you spending on, you know, figuring out ways to make sure that, you know, integrations and that customer success and customer adoption is fitting into how these companies are doing business? As you kind of mentioned, a lot of these companies are potentially pretty old school in how they manage their, their technology stack. The ability to integrate, and you know, I'll, I'll talk about enterprise because that's where we're focused. Uh, the ability to integrate, to give confidence that you can integrate, is absolute table stakes when you're trying to sell into enterprise because uh, you know, no one's going to replace things 
you're always going to have to integrate with an ERP. Um, you're always going to have to integrate with a CRM. So, you know, you have to go to the table in the sales process with a, your plan and give confidence and confidence is important to that CIO or CEO that you will fit into their existing stack and, you know, this software will operate with all the integrations they, they need you to have. Super important. We spent a lot of time on building end-to-end integrations, building our open API and documentation around that, finding the right middleware partner, all aimed with not only making sure we can execute that with confidence, but there needs to be efficiencies if you're going to scale in enterprise in being able to do repeatable integrations and you know, keep, that, uh, keep those integrations well-maintained. So probably a longer answer than you wanted, but that's, it's so important uh, to get right, as, particularly as a startup, if you have an interest in going into you know, even high mid-market enterprise, and you, know, you have to have a plan and be able to execute against it because you, know, you will get asked, you will get those requirements, and you have to be able to execute on it efficiently. To not have the ability to to integrate. I mean, people just have so many different, you know, situations and then they change, right? Like that's the other thing. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll switch to a new platform and, uh, and you need to be able to be flexible and able to deal with that. So it's hugely critical. I mean, it's like you said, it's table stakes. What's next for Atlatl? What are we looking at over the, uh, over the next five years? I think we're, we're going to continue to grow. We're in a, a great market. Uh, global manufacturing is just a massive marketplace. Uh, you know, I think we are going to look to evolve more and more into uh, B2B commerce. And in addition to you know, what we're doing now, we think the market is naturally evolving um, from visual configuration into a fuller suite of B2B commerce. And it was, that's a market trend we're seeing right now where uh, traditional mainline B2B manufacturers want to create a commerce-like e-commerce experience. You know, we're expanding our product suite to be able to cover that piece of it. It's really, it's, it's a natural kind of flow for us and extension of our software but we're being more deliberate about that product offering over time. And we're focused on building a valuable company. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like building apps on the lightning platform from Salesforce. We love Salesforce. We love the lightning platform. We love employee experience. It's something that we think about all the time. Uh, and I'm sure something that, uh, that you think about all the time at your company, how your employees can do better, work better, work faster and smarter. Just like these quick, fast and easy lighting round questions. First question, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Most fun. Uh, Slack is is my favorite app. And I, th- I think it's very business focused, but it's a lot of fun as well. What's your favorite vacation spot in the South where I used to live in South Carolina? So Miami's definitely our, our favorite right now and definitely the South. It's, it's far South, but it's a, it's a great trip and it's an easy trip from Charleston. 
What book or podcast are you reading or listening to recently that you particularly enjoyed? I just finished an incredible book about the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. And it's, uh, it's just fascinating when you're building something in today's age and you look back on, they generally finish that bridge on time and generally on budget, uh, which is just an incredible feat for what they were doing and the time they were doing it. Great book. What about your favorite or most interested technology that you're excited about going forward? Augmented reality, I think we have not even touched on the applications in our lives, both personal and professional for those technologies. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? You know, why are we doing this because of how hard it is? <laughs> so I think it's a question I wish people asked more because it, it would uh, make me feel like they, uh, they, they are wondering about that. Yeah, why are you doing it? I, I just, I love building things. And I just, I, I loved the, the process of building something. And I think building a company is, even a software company is a very tangible um, process and a, a, something you can go to work, you can see this place building, uh, you can, other people contribute it to it. You know, I still run into people, uh, you know, over this town that were part of Spark and, you know, we talk about what we built there and how much fun it was. So, you know, I think in, you know, in our work lives, that opportunity, not a lot of people get to do. Uh, it's certainly not easy, but I think, um, you know, just, just the opportunity to build something that's so tangible and hopefully you can point back on value or, or some kind of accomplishment. is just really very rewarding for me. Mark, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We uh, will be following along your, uh, your atlatl journey here. Uh, any, any final words, any things to plug, uh, any open requisitions on the team? We need a backend engineer, uh, that's, uh, familiar with, uh, Python and anyone interested in moving from the West coast to, to Charleston or from wherever this is podcast to, uh, we'd love to have you. Charleston is an amazing place. I, uh, I loved my time in, in South Carolina. So Mark, thanks for coming on. You got it. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.